from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Bengals Training Camp Edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Chris Wrinkle. And it's presented by Blake, the attorney, Maislin. Another week, another practice for the Bengals out here. It was for once not the surface of the sun. It wasn't that humid. Overall, pretty nice day here for the Bengals. Yeah, it was a nice little breeze working. Uh, it was a long practice. Today was going to be long. That was scripted. Tomorrow's going to be really light. They're going to go special teams primarily, take a day off Tuesday, then come back and have what will be probably a long maybe even physical practice with Green Bay on Wednesday when they go head-to-head. So all by design, they've kind of gone hard for a day, a little lighter for a day, day off. Today was the hard day, and they had a really long 30-minute session towards the end of practice where they let the offense drive the field, and the offense actually looked pretty good driving the field in that circumstance. Yeah, the offense moved the ball very well, first and second team. The first team got a touchdown. The second team wasn't able to quite punch it in, but your overall thoughts from the day? Yeah, I, I, that was, a, I think, a good session for both, and I think it goes back to when they read the red zone lockout drill uh, when they kept score on Thursday all these days run together and and Zach Taylor really liked how competitive that was from both perspective and really the offense won that drill it's the first one to 18 points they have a scoring system the offense won but they won because they made plays Trent Irwin had a crazy catch Charlie Jones had a great catch to set up another thing I think you're okay with that if your guys in coverage are what you would call in phase and a receiver goes up and makes a play chalk went up for them making a play and I think that was kind of the way today was a little bit as well not as much big plays or highlight plays like Irwin and Charlie Jones had but I think as long as you feel like one side didn't dominate the other that's always a good thing for your team Alex Kappa got dinged up a little bit we talked to Frank Pollock afterwards he didn't elaborate on what was he's waiting for the trainers and Zach Taylor to what's going on with Kappa but if Kappa has to miss some time that's obviously not something you want for an offensive line you brought it up with Pollock they haven't had a lot of turnover in this now. I know Orlando Brown Jr. is here, but now it's guys who have been in the system, and, and there's some consistency for once. Yeah, I mean, if you remember last year, and I was guilty of this too, Chris, I mean, you assumed all these free agent signings were going to come in and hit the ground running together, right? Like Al Collins was an improvement at right tackle. Alex Kapp was an improvement at right guard. Ted Karras was an improvement at center. Uh, you know, you drafted Cordell Volson, and he somehow earns his way into the starting lineup. That's going to be better at left guard. And individually, yeah, they were. But it takes time to mesh, and it took that group time to mesh. It took Frank Pollock, Brian Callahan, and Zach Taylor time to figure out what worked best in the running game, what was best for that group of guys when it came to blocking. Well, you found out what was best for those guys. Now, it may not be the best for Orlando Brown, but chances are he's going to work out just fine, and you have less moving parts this year. Your guard to guard are the same guy. Jonah Williams has moved from left to right, but Jonah's played with these guys. He hasn't played alongside Kappa. Mind you, he played alongside Cordell Volson. And Orlando Brown's a four-time Pro Bowler, and you would think it's not going to take a four-time Pro Bowler too long to sink in, and especially at left tackle where a lot of times, as you know, you're on an island anyway, right, as a blocker. So um, I, I think it gives them a chance to hit the ground running much faster than they did a year ago. And I don't think the, the Kappa thing was anything serious. He didn't get carted off. He stood and watched the rest of the practice. Max Sharping went in for him. You know, I, I say that, and I hope I'm, I'm correct in that. But usually if a guy's carted in, then he raises the antenna a little bit more than a guy staying out to watch the rest of the practice. Now, I thought it was interesting when we talked to Pollock. He was asked about Jonah Williams moving to the right side, and he had glowing reviews he for did. Jonah Williams going left to right. Said he looked like he'd been doing it for years. He applauded him for all the work that he put in while rehabbing an injury, also learning the opposite side of the line. Now, that's a position battle. Jackson Carmen's in there right now. Lyle Collins, who's played the position before, still rehabbing. Do you think it is Jonah solidified there now and maybe 
I don't know, does Colin stick around as a backup it's if he comes back? such a great back? question. It, it, that's, that's a big question I Yeah, have. it's such a great question because, listen, offensive line has been the spot the last couple of playoffs that's kind of cost this team last year Absolutely. because of injury, and you were trying to plug and play guys. Now, listen, I'm not sure if you'd had a Pro Bowl guard in place of Max Sharping that he would have been there to be able to block Chris Jones on that night in Kansas City. But the reason you brought Alex Kappa in was to block the likes of Chris Jones's when it mattered. Unfortunately, he was hurting out. question is, You've accounted for the Lyle Collins money at this point, but you also have to then maybe roll some money over for some other extensions. When push comes to shove, if, if Jonah Williams has proven to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is going to be the right tackle this season, and Jackson Carmen has proven to you enough that, hey, if something happens, he can go in in a pinch and play well for you, I just don't know why you would spend that kind of money on Lyle Collins. But if you feel uneasy coming out of camp, and Lyle probably at a minimum is going to miss the four first, first four games of the season, do you then say, all right, for insurance policy purposes, let's just wait for a month and then we'll make a final evaluation? As Duke Tobin told us, I don't know if he told you guys, told the writers, I don't know if he told the TV folks this on, on media day, he said, we don't have to rush into any decisions on this, and they don't. But I do think it's an interesting question because it's a top-notch backup right tackle, Absolutely. but at what cost when you have to pay for some other things? And especially a guy who's not super, super young coming off a right, serious right, knee injury. Right. You don't know what you're going to get and back. And that's right, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of extensions, Logan Wilson officially talked to the media today. He signed that big extension over the weekend. Uh, uh, the defense, all of a sudden, they're locking up the key guys, and that's a good sign going down the road. Yeah, no question. It's funny because um, the Bengals, like a lot of teams in this league, they value premium positions. They don't value safety as a premium position. Think about that. They let two Safeties walk to free agency. Very good safeties. Very good safeties, right? But it was a position that they felt like we're not paying a premium price, and that's what they were going to have to pay. They think premium positions, as a lot of teams do, are edge rushers and cornerbacks on the defensive side of the ball. Well, you haven't paid premium money for Jermaine Pratt and, Pratt and Logan Wilson, but you've paid really good money, and I think it shows what their value is to this defense, that they're consistent. Jermaine's on the cusp of being a three-down linebacker. He certainly can do it some. Logan does it all the time. You have a chance to have two three-down linebackers locked up for the next handful of years, knowing you're going to consistently get the same thing, practice in, practice out, game in, game out, the way they run the whole defense, the way they communicate, um, the way that they played together and the things that they can do unspoken. I think it speaks to, to how much those guys really do mean to this football team. You're not going to pay him Jesse Bates money like he got in Atlanta or even guaranteed Von Bell money. They both got nice contracts and I do think that it shows they are extremely valued by this organization. So now on the horizon the Packers will come into town next week that big practice on Wednesday. Now Frank Pollock said they're only doing one practice together. For he reason. said things kind of I won't say exactly what something he said. Hit I, the fan, yeah, something hit the fan. We could probably get away with that online, yeah, maybe, right? but maybe. we're not going to say. Uh, something hits the fan if you go more than one day guys start testing each other out. Do you think this is a direct correlation to what happened last year when they did multiple practices with the Rams? Yeah, in fact, Zach Taylor, I think his end press conference before we broke for the summer back in, in June, was asked, are you going to have a joint practice? He said, yes, with Green Bay. Makes sense. They're coming to town. Right. And I think the follow-up question was, one day or two? And he said, only one. I think they learned their lesson last year. And the funny part was, that was a Sean McVay staff that he was very familiar with, knows how Sean practices. Sean knows how they practice. Same thing with for Matt LaFleur. He and Zach Taylor are friends. They know how each other practices. I do think that two days of that last year, beating heads, the fact that Lyle Collins was trying to work his way back in, did not have a very good day on day two. He's the one that kind of lost his temper first. I thought they realized two days of button heads in the sun is just one day too many. So that's why we've cut it down to just the one day this year. But I got a feeling it'll be competitive and you'll have a chippy, chippy moment or two when all is said and done. The last thing I want to bring up, because this happened since the last recording of this podcast, Jamar Chase on NFL Network said that he <coughs> told Joe Burrow he doesn't want him there for the first five games of the season because he wants him there 
for the last game of the season be the Super Bowl. Said that I thought the most interesting out of it said that he could have come back last year a week earlier, but wanted to make sure that hip of his was fine. Are you taking Jamar serious right no. now? Was Jamar messing with us? Read the tea leaves for me. I think Jamar's tongue was firmly planted in the <laughs> cheek and messing with us on that one. I, I really do. Trust me, he knows the value of Joe Burrow. Listen, if it is Joe Burrow close to week one and he's not ready, then I think I would agree with you that, hey, let's one week that maybe you get through, maybe you don't, is not going to break or make or break your season. But don't give me five games, man, and don't tell me you're serious about any of that stuff, Jamar. I, I don't believe it for an instant. Chris, you were up at the Hall of Fame this weekend for the induction of Ken Riley, the I late was. Ken Riley. His family was there. Hey, what did you make of it? I know you're kind of from that area. I've not been to the Hall of Fame. I've been, I've actually broadcast games at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Field. Unfortunately, I've never gone through the Hall of Fame, but what did you make of the experience? And obviously, I know a cool moment because I watched it on TV for the Riley family. An uh, amazing moment for the Riley family. I think you really could tell just on their faces how much that meant to them. Getting the gold jacket the night before the Hall of Fame induction, it was an emotional moment for them. I actually saw them afterwards after they walked off this stage. Stage, the whole family was together. It was, you know, it, it was a lot of Riley members that were there to celebrate this that they think has been long overdue putting the Rattler in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it, it was emotional for Bengals Nation. I think that's the best way to describe it. You know, it's a celebration, but for the Riley family and for Bengals Nation, not having Ken there to be able to make yeah. his own speech, had to have his son do it, had to have his wife do it. I think that's, you know, it leaves you wanting a little more, and you you wanted Ken to have that moment in the sun. But as Ken Riley II said, I know Dad's up there. He's smiling down on us. And I thought the best part of his speech was the opening line. He said, I told my dad when I talked to him, I'm not visiting Canton until you get in. Well, here I am today. So that, that was really cool. And cool. I got to say, as a sports fan, you got to go to the Hall of Fame. They've done a lot. It's really cool. The Hall of Busts is really awesome. Uh, you can tell the arts have gotten a little bit better over the years because the busts start looking yeah, a lot yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a point where it's like, okay, that looks like the guy. All right, I get it. But uh, they've done so much to rehab that whole museum. They're building a whole village around it. It's a really cool event, and it's so much more than just the enshrinement. It's... They have a Ferris wheel. They have practice fields out there. You can run around and have fun. Uh, it was a really cool experience, and there's a, a lot of legends when they all walk out in their gold jackets it's incredible. and you I go, oh, my yeah, gosh. That guy, that yeah, guy, that, that guy. That, yeah. I remember watching him and him and yep. him, and it, it's a really cool experience. Glad we were able to be there. And maybe the first of years to come with Ken Anderson, a finalist this year in the senior category. Willie Anderson's been a, a finalist the last few years and then the regular category. And who knows, some other Bengals, Geno Atkins maybe down the road, some other guys, uh, Lamar Parrish, uh, a contemporary Ken Riley's hopefully in the mix of them. You know, it took a while to get another Bengal in the Hall of Fame, but maybe we'll get a few more here in the next few years. And with what the team's doing now, it doesn't hurt. I don't think it's going to be as long as it was from 1998 to yeah. 2023. I think you might have to wait a year or two, but it's not going to be that long. For Chris Rankle, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals Training Camp Edition, presented by Blake the Attorney Maislin.